welcome, welcome to day 13 of the Nano Gang Bangs On, or in our case, putters moderately forward missing many, many days. Wobbles along, sadly. God, what a month. At least we're muddling along, though. (laughs) Oh, I am your host. Who are you? Huh? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm Dan Sawyer. Who are you? Kitty. (laughs) And you? I'm Gail. Gail Carragher. Woohoo! We're here. I knew we'd remember who we were at some point. <laughs> First step accomplished. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now we know what to put on the bylines for the books. <laughs> God. <laughs> at least some of the time. Some yeah, of us yeah. don't always write under that. <laughs> oh, I know. And especially now that I'm breaking out too. See, how many pen names do you have? Just the two at the Just moment, the but I'm looking, I'm side-eyeing Wyan Axon, which had to get trunked and being like, maybe I need a whole new identity for that uh-huh. little, little sucker. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the midst of moving from one to three, and then I've got at least one in the trunk that I'm like, probably need a different pen name for this one entirely. So maybe that's a good topic. Why? Like, what is it uh, that what is it that made you first bifurcate into two and then into three? And why are you thinking about another one? Well, my whole uh, the whole story is that when I started uh, publishing, my first publications were all nonfiction articles in the tech space, and that was Dan Sawyer because you know it seemed like a, a nice, comfortable sort of name for a magazine article seemed to fit. J. Daniel Sawyer seemed a bit pretentious for that kind of a market. (laughs) Very literary. Right. And uh, then when I, but when I started publishing fiction and podcasting, it was J. Daniel Sawyer because that's always been who I am, right? That's, that's what my name is. It's how I've always signed things. And I've always, (laughs) and weirdly, genuinely, I don't think it's connected, but I have always found myself sort of viscerally attracted to authors who have initials. Mm. Um, it just, there's something about it that I think has always telegraphed to me that it's more than just an ordinary dude. This is someone who's bringing their whole self to the game. I don't know why. I feel the opposite from you, which is I have always like regarded the initial with a very suspicious eye because in my brain coming from like the 80s and 90s sci-fi world that A means literary and B means an old white dude. (laughs) And I've always been like, not sure about that. (laughs) Uh, I've always I've always loved them on everybody men women white black chinese and i've always loved initials i i it just always have um maybe because i grew up on uh jrr tolkien and c.s lewis i don't know but but for for whatever reason it seemed to fit really well with um the kinds of science fiction i was interested in writing so i started off in science fiction using that and then i went to wait, 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 yeah, big yeah, 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 question. Yes. Do you use a period after your initial or not? Yes. yes. Oh, you absolutely. do. See, yes. this is very important for like algorithm and searchability and all these. You have to make these decisions. Mm. The other thing to think, to think about for everybody out there who's thinking about different pen names and stuff is how it looks. Uh, yes. How it looks in different fonts. And that was another thing, yes. J. Daniel Sawyer works very well in a lot of fonts. because that J is super pretty at the beginning, it, it I have to say. It is super pretty at the beginning. The short and the long and then the moderately long last name gives you a lot of layout options that are Yes, really and the Y in Sawyer and the loop down. Uh-huh. Like I always think yep. about like the shape that the work were 
word makes yes. on that cover becomes is the is a visual element so yep. there yeah. was that uh, that wonderful bit in long dark tea time of the soul about how the secret to being a bestseller is to have a moderately long first name and then a very short last name because it lays <laughs> out well on the cover and that's the whole secret it's not whether that's you can, the secret for uh, thrillers crime fiction authors right seems. right and it's what he was talking about was a thriller author mm, and horror but, to a certain yep. extent but um so I was using that for all my fiction, including my mysteries and whatnot. And my problem is algorithmic. It's not that the name isn't memorable, because it is. It's that the artificial stupidity that now runs the storefronts keep thinking that one, an author ought to only be able to write in one genre. Mm -hmm. And so if you go in naive from like a blind IP not logged in and you search for my name, you get one of my mysteries, then the also recommend, or then the recommendations are all for nonfiction books and other stuff like that. And rarely for my mysteries. And I certainly don't get also recommendations from other mystery authors coming to me for the mysteries. Same kind of shit for the science fiction. Cause you know, it's the nonfiction, the science fiction and the mysteries are all under the same name. So this is the also bought issue for anybody yes. who, who's used to that terminology. But uh, I have to say it's also, uh, there, this is a huge discussion and it's in the marketing segment of our lives, but mm -hmm. uh, also bots are also down for a lot of books right now That's so what I've heard. Uh, but, doing some experimentation yes because they're moving to an entirely ad driven model which is going to be loads of fun but uh, and it may render what i'm doing completely irrelevant but you have been you have been on me for years to stop acting like i'm in bookstores and start acting like i'm in an algorithm space yeah, unfortunately, this is the world we live in. Yeah, so I finally capitulated, and starting with Robert's Rules of Writing, all my nonfiction is Dan Sawyer, and all my science fiction and fantasy and probably horror, because it's all sort of blends together, is J. Daniel Sawyer, and all my mysteries are J.D. Sawyer. Good, very good. Um, and, um, I think that's I think that's excellent. Uh, yes, and, I like uh, it. The fun thing is, I had to pick a new font for JD Sawyer because it looks different, or it it the the font that looks really great with his full name looks silly with just the initials, <laughs> and the layout on the cover was designed around the name Sawyer and cradling Jay Daniel inside of Sawyer to make the name like one The feature. S and the R were tall and Jay Daniel went in between. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I know, I, I can can't, see can't it. can't do that with JD. JD, like, no. Oh, how are we gonna put this on here? You make my life hard. <laughs> <laughs> I would be tempted to use one line at that juncture. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the interesting thing about book layout. Yeah, but yeah, I figure I'll keep discoverability going by in the in the uh, book description, put J. Daniel Sawyer writing as for all these other yeah. people who yeah. come to me through one can still find me the other ways. But yeah, so that's what got me religion. And then the, the one that I've got sitting off to the side is a very, very spicy erotic romance. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, novella too, not even a proper novel. And there's just no way that yeah. it's going to appeal to any of my existing audience yeah. at all. So, yeah. So I did two for heat reasons as well. So the GL character books just have a much higher heat content. And I was mostly, that means they're sexier. Uh, they're more graphic. 
uh, in the they're more erotic. And I, uh, I, I also have YA under the under Gail Carragher, and so I was like, I just right. need to warn people. And the Gail Carragher adult stuff is relatively tame in terms of like parts aren't named. I would say things are alluded to, but if you actually read it, I was like, I don't want to actually name. I don't have to worry about what the Victorians called sexy bits. So we're just gonna never name a sexy bit, and everything will be alluded to. Oh, that's and a shame. Victorian, Victorian sexual slang is hilarious. It is hilarious, but it is also really funny to write sex scenes when you don't have access to any of the words. That's and, true. Uh, and that was fun too. Uh, and I, almost all my sex scenes, especially in the Gail Carragher stuff, are also comedic because sex is hilarious by nature. And so, yeah, so, so only the GL stuff gets explicit. Yes, um, if we didn't find it arousing, <laughs> sex would be slapstick. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I just, I just straight up didn't didn't contemplate like the heroine's journey which is my nonfiction book i didn't really think about a worry about algorithm because it was sort of produced in a vacuum in terms of that so it's like it came out and there's like six months of i didn't do any fiction on either side of that release and so it didn't didn't really matter and it sold to my fiction reader base who were also writers first and then right. you know, I had a bunch of interviews within the podcast community who, for, for writers and slowly it got traction outside of um, my fiction base into a nonfiction base. But I don't, I never intend to, or I never intended to write a lot of nonfiction. So right. I published it under Gail Carragher just because I thought it would be a one-off thing. And right. it would well, always and be especially for that book, that's where all your credibility comes from, too. Precisely, precisely. And so, you know, I mean, I could write something like on the com, like writing comedy and romance or something like that. But like, I just don't, I just don't feel compelled to. And I maybe, right. you know, I always say that. I feel like nonfiction, if I write it again, is like a once every 10 year kind of thing for me. <laughs> you have to build up enough. Whereas with me, it's a rising concern. I held back on it yeah. for so long. Just occasionally, once would one would pop out. But now it's like, no. You love it. I love you, you, it. You and, do it well, and you made your kind of start in it. And so it's sort of like and, and something interest, I feel like. Yeah. And, and you, my interests are wide enough. And all the research that I do to write my fiction all of it just creates these books in my head that want to get out these nonfiction books. I'd rather do presentations. I find I like teaching more in person. And so it's just a per capita frustration for me. If I get too many requests for a specific course, or I start to get people asking the same right. question over and over again at mm -hmm. panels and at conventions, when I mention something like what's happening with the heroine's journey, that's when I feel compelled to write something just to get it out to enough people. <laughs> but until that, until that happens with another yep. subject, I don't, I don't think I'll be you know, writing on fiction again. So, so anyway, that, that's just a long way to come around to be like, I have two pen names at the moment. And the reason I'm considering a third is just because the like you, the content of this other book is so outside of something I think my fans would like mm -hmm. and my readers would enjoy that like, and it's germane to an entirely new platform. It's very much sort of a serialization thing. And so it's a matter of me deciding if I want to do that with this book, mm -hmm. in which case I might do it under a completely different name, but I'm not, yeah. I'm just not sure. So that one's on the, that, that yeah, book for, is just like trunk. For, for this I erotica think. one, I went, the uh, erotic romance, I guess, is, I thought it was erotica and it turned into erotic romance. Like, you know, like, mo like does it have a happy ending? 
It does. And it's sort of happily yeah. ever after type of ending even. But um, the other two times I thought I was doing erotica, it turned out to be highly erotic Southern Gothic horror. This one actually <laughs> turned out to be erotic romance. So Southern, highly erotic Southern Gothic horror, you can put that out to the science fiction and fantasy audience and they're fine with that. Mm-hmm. Romance, no. Especially contemporary, yeah. modern day, yeah. you know, interpersonal yeah, drama, no. With no aliens. With, with no aliens and no weird science or time travel or anything. But you face up to you face up to this thing with a pen name like that and launching a new pen name where like the barrier to entry just because of the genre itself is so huge that you're like, uh and it's really frustrating from an author perspective because I wrote the thing. You know, there's uh-huh. eighty thousand words of a thing I wrote. Yep. that I like, that it has really fun concept behind it and like a great magical system and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, but it's so much work to do anything with it. <laughs> yeah, well, but there's the, other, there's the other thing where if, you know, you, you set it out on a, under a different pen name, even if you're just hanging it out in the wind for people to sort of happen by, what if it takes off? Yeah. Then and you have then to you feel more. like you want to do, <laughs> then you feel like you should do more because you have bills to pay. But that's not where your primary interest lies. And that's kind of what I'm fighting with right now. I'm like, you know, the, the terrible thing is this could take off. And I don't know if I want it to. I'm going to release it anyway, out of principle, because it is a professional level product and it's part of the discipline. But part of me is terrified that this is going to be like the one thing I've written that really takes off. Yeah, and I'm going to yeah. suddenly have like 30,000 sales of this little erotica novella and I'll have to be like, shit. <laughs> that's how the student loans get paid off <laughs> how could you yeah it's it i have i've talked about this in the past where i'm like be careful what you wish for and and because one of the pieces of, of advice i give to newer writers just starting out is try different things like experiment with different don't get trapped into like writing 12 books in your like high fantasy series because it might turn out that your natural voice is not suited to that genre and you're actually suited to something else but also be careful because you might end up like experimenting and like having fun and then that's Uh what you have to write for the next decade yep 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 (laughs) so you also should like it like like all the different sub genres that you're experimenting not just like it but have but but like it in the way where there's sort of an infinite level of interest and there's some things, everyone's got these things where it's like intensely interesting for a little while and then you sort of bounce off. You hit that level where yeah, the satisfied, right, you've satisfied your natural curiosity, you've gotten past the ooze sparkle and you're like, you know, theoretically you can go forever on anything, but I just don't have the appetite for this. Like and video games. Like video games or, for Kitty. Or but, reading a genre. Like, you know, I'll delve deep into a subgenre for yep. months and the, this is the thing I want to read. And then suddenly I'll be like, no, I'm done with gay sci-fi. I'm done. Yep. We're done. <laughs> Moving on. I'm full. There's, yep. It's, yeah. And it can happen with, you know, with a new food, with anything. Yes. So you want, you want the thing that you're like, like you're setting your career sites on to be that, to be one of those things for which you are willing to develop an infinite appetite. Like salmon. You're Japanese from the Northwest. You ha- you're born with an infinite appetite for salmon. <laughs> <laughs> there are rivers full of salmon Hilarious. that are only full of salmon because you haven't eaten them yet. <laughs> uh, salmon. Uh, I, I don't, it is, I mean, it is, this is particularly kind of rich coming from us who like keep jumping around to different genres. I know, right? Yeah. Like 
But, what but, but all that to say, like the, the codicil on this is like you you build yourself a brand and a voice in the genre that you're good at, hopefully, and can get better at. And then you get the luxury of jumping to hopefully jumping to new stuff. And you have enough loyal readers who are like, I'll read anything you write because they like your voice that they'll follow you. Mm -hmm. It reminds but, me, I, I don't know if you remember that weekend that you got the contract for Solus and we were sitting out in the hot tub and arguing about what the best strategy is for writing. That was New Year's. That was New Year's. I have You're, photographs yep. from New Year's. We had a yep. steampunk New Year's party and there's me in steampunk mm -hmm. attire with an yep. excited contract that I was showing to everybody. Yep. And late that night, we're sitting out in the hot tub with a couple of our other friends and we get to arguing about what the best way, because we were both done with our first book that had gotten yeah. some notice. And my podcast was going gangbusters and Solus was getting good. Your nonfiction podcast. I mean, not your nonfiction no, podcast, your fiction, fiction podcast. podcast. We should. And yeah, Solus yeah. was getting good early reviews, but hadn't hit the street yet. And you were like, they want me to do another book in the series. And I'm like, I know my listeners want me to do another book in the series. And I've got several planned, but I think I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go write this other thing so I can come back because I think I just about tapped myself out on this and I need to go learn other things. And you're like, oh, that sounds so good, but I've got it. This is what they're offering me. And then when you got to branch out, you had loads of fun. But of course, by that time, you had done enough in one series to establish a major brand. Yeah. I fell off the podcasting wagon and lost a lot of audience through attrition. We lost traction. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's funny. The, the only branching out I did early on in those first like five or six years was Crud Rat, the audiobook, actually. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that was, I only, I only kind of let myself branch out because Crud Rat was just a fun experiment of me writing. And I let myself because I did it in a completely different medium, which was audiobooks, which really just, which they hadn't taken off yet and they weren't as big a deal as they are now. So the luxury of the sort of full cast experimental project that we kickstarted that allowed me to go off brand, but only like in a very tangential mm -hmm. way. Yep. Um, but I, I pretty much stuck to the steampunk wheelhouse for ages. And partly that was just because traditional publishing had me on a real like quick turnaround schedule. I didn't I remember, have the yeah. and if time I to write anything else. If I remember right, you wrote Crud Rat right after Solus because you weren't sure which would sell. No, so I wrote... God almighty, I don't remember when I wrote Crud Rat. Hold on a second, I can look that up. Uh, let's look at the drafts. This is why you keep uh, versions of drafts, yeah, everybody. Version. So on random podcasts a decade in the future, you can have a whole conversation <laughs> about it. Um, uh, I mean, I remember when we published it, yeah, but so uh, I don't remember. A couple of years about it. Uh, Crowd right. Oh, one draft. When did we write that? 2009. So you're right. It's what I wrote directly after Solas. I thought I went and wrote Changeless immediately, but no. Uh, wow, your memory you is better than mine. Were, it, was, <laughs> it was the one you wrote while you were shopping Solas around, I think. Right. And also Solas had an incredibly long negotiation. I feel like it was during yep. the negotiation. There was Solas, so I, I, Solas got an offer in 2008, and then we were in contract negotiations with the offering publishing house for six months That's, and the biggest oh problem was I, I an option clause that, oh that had to, that, that infringed on my academic career mm -hmm. and so there was a, i didn't think i was going to be a full-time author i thought i was going to be a full-time academic and so there was this right. huge contract battle going on and while that was happening i was like i didn't i didn't even know the contract was going to be for a series at all because right. like we were stuck on very early terms of that contract so i just wrote 
Crudrat because I was having fun. Um, and then when I finally sold the the book to a different publisher, as it turned out, um, they wanted a two, but they wanted a second book specifically in the series. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's when I wrote Changeless and then Blameless. But during contract negotiations for the second house, uh, which ended up being Orbit, who I signed with, uh, I knew that they wanted a second book. And so that's okay. when I wrote the second one. So I wrote Crudrat and Changeless during like contract <laughs> negotiations because nice. it was like a year long of contract negotiations of one yep. kind or another, which welcome to traditional publishing. Are yep. we shocked? No. <laughs> Gail writes two books while she's waiting for big publishing to figure out their shit. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, and then I, I couldn't wrap everything up in Changeless because I'd written Soulless to essentially stand alone, especially with the romantic arc. And so when I was told I had to do a series, I like scattered a bunch of like cliffhangers. And so, <laughs> so Changeless has a cliffhanger among other things. I come out of sci-fi. I was like, of course the second book has a cliffhanger. It's what you do. Yep. Um, and so uh, my editor freaked out and was like, we need a third one. And, uh, and eventually <laughs> and a five-book like, series happened. You do, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, you, why are you talking to me and not my agent about that? <laughs> you know what you have to do. Um, anyway, yes. So, oh, we got onto an interesting subject from, <laughs> from pen names. And we haven't even done our assessments. You know what we haven't no. done yet? Well, we haven't reported our numbers. No, we haven't. Right, reported we numbers. haven't. Okay, well, it's all right, uh, Kitty. Why don't you start us off because you came up with the subject? <laughs> How many pages are you at so far? Uh, where was I before? You were at two twenty last time we talked. Uh, I think I am at two fifty. Sorry, because you've been sick too. Yep, I have been sick or taken <clears throat> care of sick. Yep. Or trying to recover from taking care of sick and doing a lot of sick. <laughs> yep. Where are you at, Gail? I'm at a nineteen one one zero one nine one one zero, which is for those who are paying attention, two thousand down because I also was not feeling well yesterday, so I lost one day of writing yesterday. I ended up just taking a what I call a slug day, where I yep, lie around and feel sorry for myself. Yep, you're. De I had that day yesterday. You're definitely ahead of me, though. I, I had uh, four days of nothing, and then this morning I'm up twelve hundred words on this book and uh, seven hundred words on an article that I got uh, solicited. Um, Honestly, though, this is kind of a miracle that we're like almost halfway through the month and I'm still ahead of you. Like it, even if you lose days, usually oh, you beat me like no yeah. problem. So I've, like I'm, I'm gonna, feeling pretty I, tough. You're 10,000 <laughs> words ahead of me. I've got to really, really get it in gear. But and yeah, I have so a writing I'm, retreat starting next week. So oh like boy. I should be upping, I should be I'm hopefully doubling my numbers. Yeah, uh -huh. so You're going down. Yeah, oh I boy. might beat you at a month total for the first oh, time no. in a decade. <laughs> no, no. I may have to count this article I'm writing just so I can catch up. You should that. count it. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, we don't have to play by nano rules. We can. <laughs> you can. It's writing. You wrote something. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, the main project is ninety-seven oh eight so far. Um, so, and, uh, oh boy. Oh, speaking of word counts and whatnot, we do have a question that like is related to that. So we may as well take it. Excellent. Uh, yes. it's from, it is from Simon. He says, what is word count or more precisely, what are you measuring with word count? I have a much higher word count when dictating compared to typing a first draft, but then I have to transcribe it, which is an extra pass. So more time. 
I also think the suggestion out there amongst writers that you can do 10,000 words an hour is a little misleading. No, no kidding, right? As it normally means <laughs> spending a lot of time plotting first. So if you divide the word count by overall time spent, it's actually a lot lower. I still track my word count, but it seems to me that it's only really useful for comparing my own output between different days and to get a rough estimate of how many books and short stories I can create a year. Comparing it to other people's word count doesn't have any real meaning, but it is so easy to do and can easily derail my writing. Ooh. So I'm not derailed by it. I, I would question that premise personally because I am a competitive writer. As yes. just demonstrated, I like, <laughs> I like to write. As am I. Yes, Dan and I miss each other terribly because we adore one another, but also because we used to sit across tables from each other in cafes oh, and good just type and then look up and be like, how many have you done? And then uh -huh. whoever was, and then you, if you're not, if you're not keeping pace, you feel compelled to just like write harder and more. So we're yes, just, there, there, there's a reason, there is a reason why at the retreat center we are intending to build. The first cabin is going to be for you so that you can sit <laughs> across the gazebo from each other. <laughs> just type away. Few times a year that's right yes yeah yeah um but but to to get back to word count uh and how we define it like dan and i probably define relatively similar and and uh and i define that word count as usable quality words as in words that are going to make a germane first draft so you know, now at this point in my career, like I'll jump and write scenes ahead for like the third book when I'm in a, the second book or what have you. And, and like, I will count those towards the third book's word count because I know they're going to be useful. I also know I'm probably going to delete large chunks of it and that's going to count against me on a word count day, but that's just the nature of the beast. Um, I, I, so I will, I will often yeah. jump ahead and, and do notes to myself as I go, and then those will get swallowed up later on. So I count them because they're going in the document, and I know that they're going to get subtracted out later as they're replaced with finished words. But they're seeds for those finished yep. words, exactly. so they count at the time because they're right. going to yeah, become not, something. Exactly. Useful. It's not my yeah. grocery list or something like that. Precisely. So I think that's that's how I define count word. Uh, that is how I define word count, which is words that are useful for the document and it might point in my career that's pretty much anything i write in a new document that i'm working on for a you know for a sustainable project so yeah. my word count is kept track of by scrivener for me and it's pretty much what i laid in the the that day like, during the writing pretty session the same here um from a business brain perspective simon asked about keeping a rough estimate of how many books and short stories you can create a year that is actually a really useful reason to keep word count, even if you are not particularly competitive mm -hmm. with yourself or with other writers. Is it reasonable for you to write 5,000 words a day, or is it only reasonable for you to do 500? And then you have an idea of how many books of a length that you want to publish will come out in a year. Yep. And that's yeah. really valuable. You it's also how you know about contract workers you're going to have to hire. So like it has budget, like, yep. you know, like budget. I didn't even know I kind of naturally produce two projects a year because that's kind of how I write and what I do. Uh, mm -hmm. So I just have like my uh, developmental editor, for example, I have an external dev editor who I hire. Like I pretty much just have her booked for two time slots every year because 
that's about almost always about when I will produce a book for her to edit. Like there'll be something in the spring for her to edit and there'll be something in the fall for her to edit. And I just have standing like booking with her yep. and, uh, and we'll adjust those or I'll move it around if I need to. Yep. But for, um, for me, it's uh, de depending on, as long as it's a year where I don't have, for example, the universe blowing up in my face, it's four to six projects a year, but in years where the universe blows up in my face, it's one to two. Um, and but, that, that. but that's also useful on a long-term career plan. Like if yes. you know you're the kind of author, and I've just learned this, which is like there's a bunch of things about myself as an author. Admittedly, we all change, but as we get older, think these sorts of things. But I know myself as an author, generally speaking, it's two a year. That's kind of what I can do. Like sometimes there'll be a special project or something else, but pretty much two a year. I've tried to do more than that. I just edge into burnout. And yep. that's because I like to do events and I like to do all this other stuff connected with right. being an author. So two is what I do. Therefore, I must build a whole career around producing only two books a year. And yep. that means I have a business model that does that. So like, yep. that's one of the reasons I'm wide. That's one of the reasons I'm so focused on like owning eyeballs via a mm -hmm. newsletter and things like that, because I can't rapid release. I yep. can't be the kind of writer who writes a book a month and pushes it into KU. That's that's not me. Yep. And that, interestingly enough, impacts what genres I'm going to target yep. and stuff like that. So if I'm coming up with the idea for a book and it could be lit RPG or it could be a harem romance, I'm probably not going to choose any of those avenues. I'm going to go for something else, something more experimental, something more like cerebrally sci-fi or something. I'm going to change my world building because those two markets are rapid release KU markets, and I'm just not going to target them. And so, right. like, what, by the way, what is what, what is harem romance? That's a new one on me. Oh, reverse harem. It's a genre of romance where it's one woman and multiple men catering to her, and each man satisfies a different archetype. So you'll have ah, like okay. a bad boy. It's very the like, shifters are quite popular. So you have like a dragon shifter and a wolf shifter and a gotcha. elf and a blah blah okay. blah, and they're all they're all basically servicing. It's a weird kind of service submissive harem, but it's gotcha. men a woman she's a lucky special they all just go to her there's right. no there's no polyness to it uh okay that, you know they're they're not with each other as well they're they're just for her uh right. it's a very very you can <laughs> probably tell it's kind of a very ultimate uh, uh mary sueish sort of fantasy yep. uh hugely popular hmm, about six to eight months ago it seems to be I mean, there's definitely a niche for it. There's definitely has still buyers, much like, you know, vampire, like right. spawn the whole, like if you're writing indie, you can definitely cater to some of these markets. But, but there was a wave that is now gone down. Market. Yeah, they're two, they're vibrant, voracious reader bases, but they're very specific for, gotcha. for targeting. Um, so yeah, I mean, all that to, just to say, like knowing your style as an author has like profound business it does. decision making. Yep you know, processes and stuff in place. So there's a, there's a lot of business re reasons why you need to know what you can produce safely and in a healthy way for you, so psychologically, burnout-wise, yep. creatively, emotionally, all those things. Yep. By the way, I've got to take issue with this 10,000 words an hour thing. I just did a little bit of math. That's 166 words a minute. That's like beginning to talk at the rate that Cory Doctorow talks when you interview him. <laughs> And I know this because I did that and transcribing him was so difficult that I wound up clocking him and he talks at about 180 words a minute. 
the man talks very fast. Sure does. The notion that anyone could dictate 166 words a minute for an hour and have them be usable fiction really strange credibility for me. <laughs> I have to say, I talk pretty fast too, in case anybody yep. hadn't noticed listening to this podcast, that Corey and I got into an argument about the whether you could distinguish art from artist and uh, whether you should uh, morally and ethically uh, for about six hours quite drunk at a con once. And we might have been talking that fast. <laughs> yep. but, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't doubt it. But, but yeah, I mean, I think maybe the very fastest dictators, of, you know, who have been doing it a long time, like Kevin J. Anderson or somebody, like, might be able to do it that fast. But yeah, I, I would I question know. that. Yeah, That's I, real I, quick. Yeah. And I mean, it, even, it is probably an exaggeration. Yeah. For- I, I, would just, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've heard Kevin talk through his process. I think I had him on the, on the podcast here once talking through his process. He, he outlines before he goes out on his walk and then he goes out on his walk and he walks like five or 10 miles and dictates the chapter that he's got for that day. So he's only doing one or two chapters a day. So that's only like 10,000 words at the most every day. Now that's a really nice daily word count. It is. But it ain't ten thousand words an hour. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm um, or it might be, but it but it broadens out because you then right. stop. Like you're not writing ten thousand words for eight hour. Ten thousand words an hour for eight hours. Right. You're maybe right. doing it for an hour or two, and then you know that translates to yeah. like that. That would be my arg- argument. I, yeah, I, and, 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 apart and, from everything else, you lose your voice dictating that much. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> lose your voice and and then the amount of revising that you would have to do this is the thing that's always kept me away from dictating fiction i'm Mm. not not that not that you couldn't train yourself to do this but you know gail you and i we've been in and around academia so often that when we need to we can mostly turn off the ums yes and we can we can speak clean copy if we're doing it in in a particular intellectual sandbox. Yes. Extemporaneously, even though we're in our favorite sandboxes here, despite what you hear on the cast, which tends to get a lot of the stutters and ums edited out of it, we are very sloppy. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. We talk like normal people. We just talk. Yeah, we talk like normal people. And transcribing that is a nightmare. It is, yeah. an, and I have to say, this is something I'm learning. Like, aside from the those authors who use, say, Dragon or whatever, mm-hmm. which you can train to your fiction, so you yeah. can like literally train it for a book, and then it knows all the names and all those sorts of right. things. Right, but so even then, you'd have to deal with, with train going it. through and editing out the ums yes. and everything. But the there's a lot of uh, high volume writer authors like who do the style that I talk about, where it's like one book a month, and they mostly mm-hmm. dictate who yeah. actually is a person who use somebody else listens yes. to what's been recorded and transcribes for yes. them. And, yeah. And, and that's what so Kevin does. Right. Yep. That's what and Kevin that's does. expensive, but it does deal with the, um, er problem. Yes. But this and is, the this stutters is the, and yeah. yes, even dictating nonfiction. This is the biggest problem I've had, which is it's just more editing. It's just a ton yeah, a of editing. Cause even in nonfiction, you'll tend to use a lot of, atypical non-common words which dictation software is only as good it it only they only bother to have the dictation software like memorize a very small portion of the english dictionary and so you know you you just spend a lot of time and it's 
it's almost harder to edit because it will pick and choose a correctly spelled word. So you don't have like red wiggly lines to look for yeah. or anything like that. You're, you're just looking for miss. And, and we come back to something that you talked about on a previous podcast, which is the like word pattern recognition in our brains has to be turned off to edit yeah. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, the 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 deep characterization series I did on this podcast years ago is about two thirds transcribed and turned into a book. I actually never finished the series here because there were, there were two more chapters I was going to do, but it's been hanging fire for a couple of years because even though it was the audio was edited, so there were no ums and stutters, and there were good spacing between the between the thoughts, the transcription was still so messy that I had it transcribed by software. I got through two or three chapters of editing and I thought, you know, I just need to sit down and listen and transcribe it myself. And then I've never prioritized it since then. So I've got most of a book sitting there waiting for basically a free release if I can schedule the time to sit down and transcribe it because I'm absolutely not going to go through the hell of wading through that computer transcription. You face up to this, like this is just sort of tangential, like occasionally as like pro writers, we face up to this with a whole book too, where we're just mm. like, the dev edit on that is just too monstrous or the like the character alteration or the character thread fixes like it's just too huge to edit that so you know like i have three books in this x fantasy universe that are just gonna sit in the trunk because it's um it was almost easier just to rewrite them all than it is mm -hmm. to like go back and edit them and then it just becomes a daunting task and so you just like put things to the side my, my first my first novel and a half were also an epic fantasy type of situation and i wrote them when i was very young and there's a lot of interesting ideas there but i'm never going back yeah it's just you know i, I sort of i sort of plumbed or mined all the curiosity veins that i had there and i've got no desire to go back and rewrite them as a proper professional writer which is yeah, shame, it, it, yeah well i mean i'm i'm feeling like this one that i just trunked recently might be one of those babies where it's just mm -hmm. like i was working something out with my psyche and like we might never a it's too off brand but b like it just might not be good because mm -hmm. I was doing something else that was not a story. <laughs> you know, it was not a maybe. I don't know. I have to, you know, pick it up and relook at it if I ever decide to. You know, mm -hmm. but it's yeah. It, I mean, that is that is like the fiction version of like a dictated nonfiction or a transcribed yeah. nonfiction, where you just look at that thing and you're like, you know, if if I have a month where I know I don't want to write fiction for some reason, or I have a month where I know what I want to do is get tucked into an editing project, yep. maybe. But when does yep. that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, once Kitty is done with the pile of novels I've got in front of her, she'll look around for an editing project and say, hey, there's these there, there's this trans, half transcribed book. We can edit that into shape and that'll be an easy property for the publishing company. Who knows? Well, that's also like, do <laughs> yeah. But also like, do you want to publish nonfiction at that juncture? Like there's a brand there. You're back to the brand situation. Like yep. you might come up with a, a decision-making process where you're like, I need to do like eight releases for sci-fi 
and then five releases for nonfiction or something like that. And so it will slot into the nonfiction thing because you want to capitalize on the momentum of a specific genre. Right. Well, we've been going for like 40 minutes, so we probably have a long one. We've yeah. missed one session and suddenly we have a million things to say. But well, we had a few days we had a few days of conversation pent up. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Typical. Oh well. Well uh we'll uh I guess we'll be back tomorrow for the last one this week and um and maybe actually I'll Send us more questions, everybody. Yes, yes. They, we've got some more on the forums, but we will run out, uh, especially if we keep doing these long ones. So yeah. um, send them either to me or go post them on the forums. The, you'll find all the info on how to get to the forums in the post uh, show notes on the blog at everydaynovelist.com. Um, you can find the forums at everydaynovelist.com slash edn forums. Oh, uh, I don't know when this will drop, but I should yes. mention that I either have tonight a non- or tomorrow. Oh, good. Uh, I have a nonfiction story bundle going right now. Um, I saw that. Yes. It's called Write for the Win, as in write, write, scribble or write. Right. So write for the win. It's on Story Bundle. It's on their homepage at the moment. So just go to storybundle.com and you can find it. Um, So mine is one of the bonus pack, but it's a really good pack. It has, you know, a bunch of very well-known nonfiction authors. It's all craft and business of writing books. I was very annoyed about that. I was going to invite you to bring that book to a story bundle in a few months, but but I'm still still waiting for my time slot. So. Who knows? Yeah, I've actually thought about putting Story Bundle together at some point, but that's, well, we'll, we can talk about that on a different podcast. (laughs) But yes, uh, but anyway, listeners who are writers to this, who are listening to this podcast, you might want to check that out because. Indeed. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I I get like, as a participant, I got all of the books. So I'm like really excited to read some of them myself. And as, as one who beta read The Heroine's Journey, it's definitely worth reading. I believe that you got your first um, citation in The Secrets of the Heinlein Juvenile. So Yes, I did, uh, which is very exciting. Um, <laughs> at least the first citation I know about. Um, yeah, and although there, it has been added to a couple of, like, college courses and stuff now, and I'm Excellent. like, I'm so chuffed about it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Weird right. um, markers of achievement. Indeed. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see all of you guys tomorrow, and uh, I'll be sticking around to write a little bit longer. Me too. Bye, everybody. Bye.